Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you today again, and thank you for tuning in. What a privilege is to open the Bible together and to study. And today we are going to look into a very good one, again from the book of Genesis, The Roots of Abraham. I would like to welcome the panel, and I will say hello to Ken. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be here and part of this wonderful panel. And Brenton, it's good to have you with us, too. Thank you, Nick. When uh, we studied this topic, I think of a song we used to sing, Father Abraham Had Many Sons. Mm. <laughs> Interesting study. <laughs> and Joe, thank you for joining us. Always great to be here, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. We'll also thank you for being part of the panel. Thank you, Nick. It's always good to look at the life of the father of the faithful, Abraham. And Lija, welcome. Thank you. It's so good for all of us to sit at the foot of Jesus and learn and learn and learn and acquire more and more. It's be- very beneficial. And Len, it's good to have you part of this panel and uh, most uh, important uh, that you prepare this study and uh, you are going to facilitate uh, today. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you for your welcome and uh, hello listeners. And it's good to hear various panel members say how much they enjoy the studies that we have. So you're not the only recipients of the blessings of these studies. The panel members are too. Well, listeners, we are studying the Bible's first book, Genesis. We've moved from creation to the worldwide flood, otherwise known as Noah's flood, and have now reached post-flood times. The Tower of Babel was started, but God, who intended that the whole of planet Earth be occupied, caused people to speak and understand diverse languages instead of the one original universal language. As a result, people moved away from the region of Babylon and settled in other areas according to their language groups. Now, Genesis 11 records the generations commencing at the end of the flood and traces a family line from Noah's son Shem right through to Abram. Abram was born 292 years after the flood. His great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great, that's nine greats, grandfather Noah, as well as his eight greats grandfather Shem, was still alive at Abram's birth and through his early years. Shem was still alive after Abram died. In fact, um, some people deny the validity of the Old Testament and they talk about the Semite people, that's the Jewish races. Well, the word Semite actually comes from Shem. Mm -hmm. They are the Shemite people. Well, anyhow, today we're going to trace the life of Abram, who, unlike many of his ancestors, was faithful to God. But before we delve into this study, I think it's wise and appropriate that we pray. And, Will, would you lead us in prayer today, please? Of course. It's a privilege, Lord, to open your holy word. 
May the thoughts voiced here today be a blessing to both panel and our listeners. So we're asking for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. All right. Well, we're going to start off with you, Joe. Just tell us what was Abram's family situation at the commencement of the biblical record about him? Abram is uh, mentioned first in Genesis 11, and his family situation um, is, well, he's basically his father, Terah, had three children himself, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran predeceased his father, which is a first recorded in the Bible. Abram then married Sarai. Some say that Sarai was also known as Iscah and was the sister of Milcah. Nahor married Milcah, who was Haran's daughter, if that makes sense. So you have Abram and Nahor marry sisters or daughters of the now deceased Haran. And then you've got Lot, who was also the son of Haran, of course, who is now dead, among many servants. And they formed this family unit that, um, yeah, journeyed. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Well, now that's the family situation. Brenton, where was Abram's ancestral home? His ancestral home was Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, it's on the eastern side of the modern Iraq in the region we now known as Summer. It was a fertile region. It's known as the land of the two rivers in the area where he came from. Ur of the Chaldees was an extremely advanced civilization. They had a sewerage system that is actually superior to the sewerage system that many Iraqi uh, villages have today. And the children there learnt uh, four different subjects at school. So Abram wasn't asked to go from a nomadic existence to a nomadic existence. He was asked to leave probably the most um, technologically advanced city of his era to go where God um, planned to lead him, uh, Len. All right. Now, something rather unusual happened to Abram. As we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord has said to Abram, leave your country. So he was very obedient and he didn't say anything. He didn't comment. He just left. So the Lord spoke to him. Now, the, the Lord hadn't spoken to anybody since he spoke to Noah. And this is rather interesting. I was talking with somebody the other night. And I raised this point and I said, the, the Lord spoke to Adam, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Noah. And, and he said, well, I think the Lord was only made an, a, a mental impression. But the Bible clearly says that the Lord spoke to him. And later on, we'll read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, the Lord spoke to Abram. But this indicates that Abram was a very special kind of person, that the Lord would speak to him in person. Anyhow, Ken, what did the Lord say to Abram? Well, we have an account of this in Genesis 12 and 1 to 3, where the Lord said, Noi, the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, 
and curse them that curses thee. And in thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. I also find it very interesting to note that at this stage, Abram was 75 years of age when God called him to leave the land which he was in, which was part of Babylonia. Now, if you think about that, that's actually quite a difficult thing, I would imagine, because he's set in his ways. He knows all the culture where he is, but he's got to move to a new land. So I find this a really interesting topic. Yes, Brenton. Uh, just an interesting um, addendum to that, Len. The word that you mentioned earlier on about when God told him to go, uh, the Hebrew word actually means go for yourself. That means that God was calling him out to leave this civilization. And the reason for that is rather interesting. If you do um, study on Terah, Terah was actually uh, worshipping two gods. He was worshipping the true God, but he was also involved in worship of the God of uh, the country in which he lived, the Sumerians. So God is actually telling Abram, I want you to get out of this city and I want you to get out for yourself. I want my relationship with you to grow because you are going to become the father of a great nation. So I just found that really interesting as we studied this subject. Yes. So the Lord said to Abram, go to a place which I will show you. Yes. So what did Abram do about that, Nick? Well, then, um, as the Bible puts it uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4 says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him, and uh, Lot went with him. As it was mentioned, uh, Abraham was 75 years old. When he left Haram, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. This is very interesting here, and what Brenton was pointing out, which we may not necessarily look at in, in first instance, that there was also a spiritual aspect there. And I just want to link that with the message in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, you know, we study in the first book of the Bible, but in Revelation, it says also come out my people. And I can see here a very good uh, link there uh, that God was inviting him to come out and to have a relationship with God. So many people today are stuck in between those two opinions. You know, some of them even accepting that there is God, that, you know, but also doing some other things. God is inviting us, come out, and I'll make you a special people. Yes, it's interesting in light of what Brenton was saying about Terah, Abram's father, worshipping two gods, the God of heaven and some idol god. It's um, a, a good thing where somebody is being influenced by a negative influence to leave that influence in order to serve God. Well, anyhow, as it applies geographically, we could speculate that Abram thought he might be moving about 50 kilometres or so from home, which was Aaron at the time. In reality, it was about half the distance from Adelaide to Sydney which is around 700 kilometres, and that's approximately the same distance from Melbourne to Adelaide. 
At the time God spoke to Abram, he was living at Haran, much further north than Ur of the Chaldees, where he was brought up. And if you read the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, you will see there how that although his ancestral home was Ur of the Chaldees, much further southeast along the river Euphrates, that Terah took Abram, Sarai, or Sarah, or Sarah, <laughs> um, up to Haran, which was quite a lot further to the source of the Euphrates River, and um, it was there that God spoke to him and said, I want you to go, go to a place, I will show you where to go. Now, Will, this would be quite something for somebody who's well settled in a good area to be told to go away to an unknown destination. What notable characteristic have you noted in Abraham that allowed him to undertake such a venture as that? Well, I think, Len, most of us would prefer all the details, the pros and the cons laid out before us before we move away from our established homes. Yes, lock, stock and barrel to a foreign land. Uh, we expect to know all the implications. So to just obey, no questions asked, takes a lot of trust indeed. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Took a lot of faith, a lot of trust. Yes, it certainly would. I know there are other people who've made major changes in their later life, but um, as you pointed out at the beginning, we uh, have maps and things like that but Abraham didn't even know where he was going. Lydia? I would like to mention the fact that, um, as you said, Len, he was very well established. So in, in Mesopotamia, in Ur, uh, it was an advanced civilization. And uh, um, over there was the origin uh, of science, life. Um, they invented the wheel, the irrigations, and many other things, you know, the beautiful gardens and agriculture and so on. And uh, actually, he renounced uh, from a luxury life going into tents, tents that he had has to put up all the time and take it down and so on and so on. And um, I'm trying to apply this in our lives because when, when you are well established, you have a job, you have family around, you have everything, whatever you need. You really need a strong faith to get up, to leave everything behind and, and go, go in nowhere, just going to faith. Yes. Can I suggest, Len, that there's actually a very powerful lesson in the story of Abram? He was told to go. Uh, do you realise that when Jesus called his disciples he said the same thing pretty much. And I'm reading from Matthew 10, 37 to 38. And he said this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Do we we realize that when Christ called his disciples, he told them to leave everything and follow him? He said he would make them fishers of men. In a sense, they are retracing the steps of Abraham. They didn't know where they were going. Um, They didn't know exactly what fishers of the men meant, but they were willing to trust him. I believe that what Christ did with his disciples is a replication of what Abraham went through and applying that to us today, Christ asks us today to do exactly the same thing. He says, I want you to give up everything and put me first in your life. You may not know where you're going. You may not know what you were doing, but if you trust me, I will lead you just as I led Abraham, just as I led the disciples. So, Brenton, do you think this applies to a person who is not a Christian, who accepts salvation, who becomes a Christian? Do you think that applies in the same way to them? Yes, I do, Lynn. On that aspect, uh, we will try to make it as practical as possible for us today. You know, it's not just uh, looking back and learn about Abraham, which is a great thing. Uh, but, you know, it's very hard when you are in the picture. It's easy to talk about others, what they did or what they should do, other people. But w- when it's addressed to you personally, and we live in this context uh, today with everything at hand, as Ligia pointed out and, and Brenton and uh, I think it's very important to look at this, to understand, because I will say this, even the disciples, they left everything, went with Jesus. That didn't mean that they never went back and did some of the things which they did, because they were even going and fishing while we were with Jesus at some point in time and other mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apostle Paul, for example, mm-hmm. he was called to to go to minister to people, to be an evangelist, but he was making tents himself and work for uh, what he was trained to do. What that means, priority. What's your priority today? It's our priority today to just achieve things, to have a good life, to have a good family, because I heard this particularly in the Western world, that the family, it's the first on, on the, you know, the first page which is wonderful to keep family together. But, you know, as you just said here, Jesus challenged his disciples and the people around him. Were they prepared to leave everything for him? And this is the big question for us today, because we can be held back from many aspects, from many aspects. We can be held back to do the right thing, what God expects us to do. I think it's a great lesson for us to learn from Abraham and also but apply in our time. Thank you, Nick. Yes, Will. Len, what this tells me about Abraham is that he believed God. Yes. He trusted God. And no doubt uh, he had heard of his nine-time uh, great-grandfather, Noah, um, that did the same, had trust God without proof. You know, there's still there is a lot of faith without proof in the mix here. I love what somebody wrote, and it's it's quite profound, but I'll read it nonetheless. It says, amazingly, faith will ultimately come as a result of a back-and-forth exchange between human doubts and divine assurance. There is a mysterious association and tension between these opposite poles. If you doubt and search, 
you do not find. You will not believe. If you find and did not search and doubt, you will not believe. But if you doubt and search and you find, you will believe. So ultimately, the experience of faith, of practicing your faith, develops a greater faith and it, uh, it, it deepens your trust. This is what it was like with Abraham. Yes. Uh, Brenton. Len, um, I would just like to add very quickly to what Will said about the belief issue. In a future study, as you know, we will study where the ultimate in Abram's testing of his faith when he's asked to offer his son. The disciples went through the same experience. They went through the experience of seeing their Lord crucified. Even though he had told them it was going to happen, they didn't want to believe it. And their faith was tested to the maximum as well. I believe today, if we apply that lesson to us today, we must believe because um, we all know as a panel there are many Christians today who don't even believe in the resurrection um, as the Bible presents it. I think we have to accept by faith, just as Abraham did, just as the disciples did, we have to accept by faith the word of God as it reads and trust God that he does know what he's doing and that he will take us safely through to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, it's also important to realise there's a difference between faith and blind faith. Yes. Blind faith has no ground to it. It's just one of those things that pops up and there's no proof. But faith usually comes from some sort of experience. For example, I believe my wife, except on April 1, I have to watch out on April 1 because she tries to trick me. If she says there's a big dog in the backyard, I won't do that. But anything else, because I've experienced her as a truthful woman, therefore I can have faith in what she says and that it will be right. Now, what other, and this was alluded to earlier by Brenton, what other implication was there in God's command to Abram to go. God's call to go involves even more. The Hebrew phrase, lekleka, which means go, translated literally means go yourself or go for yourself. Abram's departure from Babylon concerns more than his environment or even his family. The Hebrew phrase suggests an emphasis on himself. Abram has to leave himself to get rid of the part of himself that contains his Babylonian past. So we remember that he was young. He was, he was without children. He didn't have children at that stage. So he took his wife, his father and mother, and his nephew, and he left without questions. Yes, this go, as you've just pointed out, and as Brenton pointed out earlier, was more than just a geographical going. It was, a, if you like, leaving your old life behind to a new life that I'm going to show you. And I know a number of people, and I 
hope that some of you on the panel are going to share your own personal experience here about where you left your old life behind and you went somewhere else than other than you were, where you were nicely settled. Does anybody like to share anything there? Yes, Brenton. I'll relate it to Lynn specifically to my time in ministry. I had been at a certain church for 10 years. Uh, we'd got to know the members by the grace of God. We'd seen the church grow quite significantly in both spirituality and numbers. And then we were called to go to the southeast. Now, we both talked about this. We prayed about it. We didn't know what to do. Um, we considered the pros and cons, I think, as Will said earlier on. And in the end, we basically said that if the church calls us to go, we will go. So the bottom line is that um, we didn't know which was the best of the options, but the church did call us to go. And um, now that we're down here, we believe that God lead, did lead us to this area. Yes, and I imagine it wasn't that easy. Yes, uh, Ligia and then Will. Uh, we don't have much information in the Bible why God was Abram to be his faithful servant. But we can see that God trans effectively transplanted him, took him to go somewhere else to preserve his seed through him. And uh, this preservation, leaving all his previous life behind and started, starting a new life, it's effectively a separation from sin. Because in Mesopotamia, wherever he lived, people used to worship um, idols. And as you mentioned before, his father worshipped also idols. So God took him because he saw in him faithfulness and obedience and just effectively transplanted him through his faith, of course, through his acceptance, to preserve his um, his uh, seeds. Yes, it'd be interesting to speculate, and we could do that until the cows come home, what would be Abraham's uh, record in the scriptures had he not gone and followed God's command to go. Now, Will, you would like to share something about your own experience in going? Yes, you asked the question, when people are called to follow the Lord, it can be hard for them to leave the past behind, whether we've had such an experience and was it easy. <clears throat> well, I can say that each of us might know someone that had the same experiences that we did um, to arrive in a strange country. We arrived in Adelaide with two suitcases, and that was our earthly possessions to start a new life. And that at the age of 50, I tell you something, uh, it makes uh, Abraham's experience really easy for me to understand. And I know that uh, we have friends, uh, each one of us here on the panel and listeners will know of somebody that had to say goodbye to the past and move forward. It isn't easy. Yes, thank you, Will. And uh, Nick? Yes, our own uh, experience. It's, it's different from each other because, you know, uh, uh, God talks to us uh, personally. And uh, that question which you asked, Len, and we talked about um, Abraham, that uh, he was 
his faithful servant. That doesn't mean that was a, any predestination there, that God just picked up Abraham and uh, he was his faithful servant. Now, God made the call, and by Abraham answering, he became his faithful servant. And uh, in my case, I remember when God called me. You know, I was young. I was full of dreams for this life. And um, I thought I will, uh, I will achieve uh, great things in life because uh, I left home when I was 14 years old. Uh, just for that reason, because I wanted to be independent and I wanted to make something out of my life. And when I was in early 20, God called me and said, hey, you may think that you can do things for yourself, but I have plans for you. And when I answered that call, you know, I was at that time doing well where I was, you know, uh, earning good money, being in show business, uh, do a few other things like a young person. But God called me. And when I accepted his call, I lost pretty much everything. I lost all those uh, dreams which I have for myself. But God led me into the path which he had prepared for me. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, I listened to God's call because I could be who knows where uh, today, if I will be still be somewhere. Yes. And I'd just like to add, Nick, I've heard some of your story sitting on the front deck of a catamaran in the middle of the Pacific Ocean without any land in sight. And your story thrilled me, and the Lord has certainly blessed you since. Well, let's move on with Abram. Brenton, God led Abram and his party to what is now the region around Israel, yes. known as Canaan. What did Abram do there when he got there, and why did he do it? All right, let me read uh, from the scripture and um, Len what it says. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east, mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. You find a, a similar wording, Len, in Joel chapter 2, and verse 32. And Peter uses this in the day of, uh, on the day of Pentecost to show that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe the altar that he erected, the sacrifice he offered, probably meant a number of things. Number one, he was doing what God asked him to do, so the sacrificial system would have been part of it. I believe it was recognising God's protecting and guiding hand thus far in his journey, unbeknownst to him. Uh, shortly after this, he was to go elsewhere for a while. But basically, he was recognising, and I believe that in recognising God as the protector, as the creator, and as the one who had led him thus far, he was also demonstrating confidence that God would continue to lead him. Uh, the application for us today is we need to remember, I think there's a statement we know that says something along these lines. Uh, we have nothing to fear unless we forget the way 
The Lord has led us in the past and in our past dealings. And I think that's something that we can apply today in our Bible study. Yes, I suppose in one way you could say it was giving honour and thanks to the Lord because, after all, this uh, move from Haran, uh, Abram didn't know where he was going. We have no record of the Lord speaking to him or anything on the way. He just directed him, and now they had arrived, and Abram gave thanks. And I think this is very important for us listeners, that when you see how God has brought you through a difficult situation, it might be some health issue, it could be anything, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And in this case, Abram built an altar. All right, well, not long after they arrived in Canaan, there was a drought. Joe, what did Abram do? And what serious incident happened as a result? Well, yes, that's a very interesting episode. Um, During his sojourn in Canaan, there came a, a, a big famine, a severe famine on the land, and so much so that that Abram thought he would seek shelter in Egypt that he would go down there and just um, bunker down and, and see through the drought, the entirety of the drought. But uh, did he ask God if this was God's will? Did this also lack show a lack of faith in God's providence? That's something for us to consider. But anyway, he goes, goes to Egypt and um, his wife is rather beautiful. And so he thinks, well, anyone who thinks that you're my, if, you know, knows that you're my wife is likely to maybe kill me in order to get their hands on you. And so um, he says to his wife, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So basically this is a win-win situation as far as he's concerned. Lie, tell a lie, a little white lie, and this is as much for your sake as it is for mine. Little did he know that this was going to go horribly, horribly wrong. He thought that, you know, this is not going to be a big deal. You know, he might just say it and that's it and people leave him alone. But as it turns out, Pharaoh Pharaoh notices how beautiful she is and thinking that she was his sister, takes her to his house. And lo and behold, Scripture tells us great plagues affected um, Pharaoh's house. And um, after some investigation, he found out that she wasn't his sister, that she was Abram's wife. And, of course, he says to him, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Um, and then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they they probably escorted them out of Egypt. Now, we know that while he was in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh gave him lots of gifts for the sake of um, Sarai. And I think it was it's unusual because it's really the woman's family that gives dowry <laughs> so keen was he on her that he was actually giving gifts to Abram, you know, in order to kind of, um, you know, um, soften him towards leaving her with him. Um, so anyway, long story short, they leave in disgrace, absolute disgrace, and um, it's by God's providence that they weren't killed because people have been killed for less for disrespecting the Pharaoh. This is a really, I mean, they're like, 
gods, aren't they, in Egypt? So disrespecting Pharaoh was a very, very serious crime. So they're very fortunate and blessed that God protected them. And um, they live, you know, they live to tell the story, if you like. Yes, well, I believe God intervened in this particular case too. Um, Absolutely. Ledger, then Brenton. I observed here that as Abraham decides to move, to go down to Egypt because of the severe famine, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, and he decided to, you know, to propose to her to, to lie about it. Why, why, why was that? Why did, didn't, didn't he mention before that? Why did, did he say just about when to enter Egypt? Do you think he saw over there a different civilization, a different people, dangerous men? So he, where was his fate in God? Why he decided to lie? I mean, what, it was a half lie because also he was he, his half sister. So here he fell. He fell in, in, in God's fate. Yes. Uh, there was certain inconsistency there, wasn't there? He was, he was after all, human. Yes, Brenton? This is an uncanny story, Lynn. <laughs> I've just realized that he goes down to Egypt. Why did he go down to Egypt? Because of a famine. Later on, we find Jacob and his family going down to Egypt. Why? Because of a famine. Uh, we find that God plagued Pharaoh with plagues. We can relate that to the story of the length of time that um, Israel was in Egypt and God ultimately plagued Pharaoh with plagues. And then he said, take your wife and get out of here and go. We can also find a... Uh, a rejoinder for that one in the book of Exodus where Pharaoh says to Moses, take your people and your livestock and everything and get out of here and uh, bless me also. Isn't it uncanny the way the Bible repeats itself in various areas? This is just a very small example of what was later on to be what we know as the great Exodus where Israel as a whole, as a nation, came out of Egypt. Well, I guess it happens in... Uh, the lives of lesser people, I yes. think, sort of thing may have happened with me on at least one occasion. I just want to bring this point up. Have you ever thought or did that cross your mind that maybe he left that place because of famine? But what about if it was God's plan, even the famine, that uh, Abraham should go in Egypt to evangelize those people in Egypt? Because the, the reason I'm saying this, those people in Egypt, they must heard something about Abraham and have great respect about him and even about his God, maybe. Because that's why Pharaoh was acting in that way instead of taking him just simply like a, a slave or whatever, disrespecting him. I think he had the great respect in front of those people. He could have done great things for God there in Egypt, but the enemy was attacking him with a little lie. He changed everything around and all the opportunities probably all were lost there. And that's why as good children of God, Christians, we should look for the opportunities and what God wants to do with us because this life is not for us. 
this life is for other people, how we can impact their, impact their lives. Oh. Too often, we manage, if you like, this life as it's our time on this earth. What can I do the best? And we forgot about God's plan with us. And that was the initial plan with Abraham. He took him out of that land where was maybe a lot of uh, um, idolatry and all those things to form him in a very good missionary, if you like. And he failed when he had an opportunity. Well, it's um, unfortunate. And there are at least two occasions we know of where Abram was not faithful, but there were some areas some very critical areas where he was faithful. Now, the fact that Abram slipped up here, Ken, uh, what life lesson can we learn from this particular incident? Well, Len, I believe there's a very important lesson all Christians can learn here, and it is summed up in my favorite Bible verse, which is Proverbs 3 and 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, I believe that many Christians today have this problem that we trust God up to a point, but when things get really, really difficult, we try to fix it ourselves instead of waiting for God to sort it out for us. Yes. Now, that is a very wise and very appropriate thing. All right, Nick, after the drought had abated, Abram with Sarai and Lot, his nephew, plus their animals and servants, came back to the region uh, to which God led, led them. What problem developed? Len and Benelan, uh, listener, again in the picture it came wealth. <laughs> and, you know, um, Abraham, after the experience there in Egypt, and God was merciful, you know, and he acquired, even from the Pharaoh, uh, some good stuff there. And um, his wealth was just uh, growing, you know. And and he was with Lot, as uh, the Bible puts it, in uh, in chapter 13, in Genesis chapter 13. And there was a dispute among uh, the servants of uh, the servants of Lot and servants of Abraham. Uh, because uh, even though I believe there are plenty of land around there, but, you know, everyone wants to take the best for themselves and thinking, you know, this is what I want and uh, I will do whatever it takes, you know, to secure that thing. And it broke in between them, this family, which was a united family. It broke a kind of a dispute, a bit of a war, if you like. And that, unfortunately, it led to uh, some big things, you know, uh, which uh, we may want to point out as we go. Yes, not enough room for both of them to run their flocks and herds. Well, now, how was this problem resolved? Perhaps one of you on the panel would like to answer this question. How was the problem resolved? Abraham said to Lot, uh, let's not have any uh, quarrels between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Uh, it's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Yeah, I think this was a very wise uh, decision here from Abraham. Now, we talked about Abraham some, um, you know, 
foolish decisions, but I think this was a very good decision. And even showing in that culture, him being a bit, I will say, maybe older, not necessarily, because not necessarily uncles and nephew, they should be a difference in age. But um, he was uh, his <laughs> uncle, and uh, probably Abraham should have said, hey, I will take this decision, and uh, you take whatever you like for your life. But Abraham put in front of Lot an option, as God does. You know that God's, God says to every one of us, hey, I put before you life and death, um, good and evil, this and that, choose. But God gives also uh, an outcome, what may happen if you choose life? You have this, you may choose this, you have that. Um, I think that was a very good uh, decision from Abraham. Unfortunately, from Lot, uh, the outcome was not so great. Okay, thank you. Well, I think it was very generous for Abram to say to Lot, well, you can have first choice. So what area did Lot choose, Lydia? In the Bible, it's saying in chapter 13, verse 10, it says that Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward east. Uh, Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So he chose the part of the cities. All right. Well, um, the Jordan Valley was a very fertile area, and this is the area that Lot chose. So, Ken, why did Abram allow Lot to have the best grazing land, whereas he would have probably had to go to the hills where it was uh, less fertile and less grass and less suitable? Well, again, Lynn, we have to look back at Genesis 12, where God told Abram he was going to bless him. So by giving the best land to Lot, who was his nephew, Abram was in a way blessing his nephew, but Abram also trusted in the Lord to look after him. And I believe this is a reason Abram could see that the Lord was going to look after him in the future because it looked after him in the past. Yes, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to be able to accept. You might say, well, this is, this is not what I really want. But in fact, the Lord who's blessed, if the Lord has blessed you throughout, He's not going to stop blessing you just because you don't get your first choice. And I think this is a good lesson here for us. Now, Will, what promise or what covenant did the Lord make with Abram following the separation from Lot? It was very unselfish of, uh, of Abraham to offer Lot the best of the land anyway without argument. But, you know, in colloquial terms... The Lord comes to him and says, don't worry, Abraham, I'm going to give this all to you anyway, and I'm going to give you a great offspring. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had departed from him, look around from where you are, to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, 
so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Let me just comment for a moment on the promise of a multitude of offspring. The promise of was so far-reaching that he is acknowledged as the father of three faiths. I was interested to read a Muslim professor, Dr. Rafi Habib, say, and he's a teacher at Cambridge, he's a professor at Cambridge, and he is a Muslim. One cannot be a true Muslim without acknowledging the central role of Abraham. The Prophet Muhammad and his companions believed in Abraham as the founder of their faith. So this is Islam. He is at the same time regarded as the father of the Jewish people. And this professor goes on to say, in Christianity, the Bible in the book, written book of Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. And Paul traces all those who have faith being sons of Abraham. Now, this incorporates or encompasses the majority of the world. This is an all-encompassing a promise to Abraham made by God. Absolutely. Yes, thank, thank you, Will. All right, sometime after this, war was instigated by some of the surrounding nations' kings. They successfully attacked the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Nick, what happened a lot? Len, I will just read the, this passage in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 14, verse 11, which says, then victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew. Yes. All right. Lot lived in Sodom. Sodom was attacked and captured. And Lot was taken away. So, Joe, when Abraham heard of, Abram heard about this, what choices did he have and what did he do? Well, you'll notice that he pitched his tents near Sodom and before long he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was living inside the city. So here we have, um, he hears about the capture of of Sodom and all his family, like basically Lot and all his family. And he had a couple of choices. I guess he could have said, um, well, let him have the consequences of his choices. It's too dangerous for me to go down there. Why should I risk the lives of my men? It probably would be suicide, but he didn't. Um, so he took all the able-bodied men that he had with him, which amounted to 318, and possibly more because he his neighbours joined him, the three Amorite brothers, um, which were the fourth sons of Canaan. Um, so they went to battle and the Lord was with him and they managed to recover all the goods and the people that um, that had been captured. Yes. Now, like you said, Abram might have said, well, tough, he's got to live with his own decisions. But no, he didn't. He did something about it. And I think there's an application to us. You know, there are many people who do the wrong thing. Do we just leave them? or do we make intercession for them? All right, Brenton, in a nutshell, when Abram returned from recovering Lot, he was met by the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. 
What's what's this business about the King of Salem? Well, the King of Salem is a, another name, or later we know it as Jerusalem. Um, Melchizedek is an interesting character. He appears in this chapter, and the only time he's mentioned again is in the book of Hebrews. He was not Jesus Christ, but he was a king who was representing the religion of Christ, and Abram incidentally paid him tithe, and he blessed um, Abram, and he blessed the God of Abraham, and he said that he was the maker of heaven and earth, which is language very similar to what you find in Genesis 1. So in summary, he was a very special person. Abram recognised him as a representative of the Most High God and paid him tithe and uh, all of those sorts of things, which indicates to me that when we find in Hebrews that uh, Christ uh, is the new Melchizedek, we can see the connection between the two. I believe because he realised Meshazelak was um, a priest of the Most High God and because uh, he also serves God, Abram gives him a tenth of a portion for all he had because this happened just after the end of all the violence and turmoil of war with the Canaanite kings. So Abram, by giving a tenth to Meshazelak, is an expression of gratitude to God for his protection and blessings. Well, did Abram deserve to keep the other spoils of battle, Will? Oh, he certainly did, but he didn't take the uh, spoils of battle. Various reasons, perhaps, but I believe that in ancient context of this verse, Abram refused to profit from the spoils that came from the throes of such a sin-laden place as was Sodom when offered it by his king. Yes, he recognised that God had already blessed him abundantly. He didn't really need anything more, and he didn't accept it. Well, Joe, in this study today, we've heard about Abram being faithful and also unfaithful. Could you just quickly give us a summary of some of the characteristics as revealed in this story? The Bible portrays a a complex character in Abram. We see a a righteous man who trusted God implicitly, trusted God's promises, promises about the promised land. And while he wasn't perfect and and there were a number of poor choices in his life recorded, which appeared to be lapses in faith, he is, after all, a human. And as we often do, we also have lapses of faith. He thought he might help God to keep his family safe so that the promises of God would become a reality, and we often do that ourselves. He was brave and fearless when it came to rescuing his nephew Lot, and yet at other times would shy away from confrontation, humble in his dealings with other people, not vying for supremacy or position. He took his mantle of priest of his household earnestly, and wherever he went, He left behind evidence of his faith. Wherever he went, he erected altars and sacrificed to the only true God. And this was a testimony and a witness. He was essentially a missionary in an idolatrous community. Well, in many respects, Abram is a good role model for anyone and everyone alive today, including us, the panel, and you, the listeners. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not only did Abram have family roots, but his life was based on, that is, rooted in the Lord. And my challenge for you today, 
is to take God at his word and believe in him as Abraham did. Now this ends the study, except we would like to uh, end with prayer. And Lydia, would you pray for us and our listeners? Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for the life story of Abraham and later Abraham. Going back in history and learn from his life sections from good and bad and applying in our lives also. Father, please help us to be faithful and obedient to you, to answer to your call when you call us and to believing in you, to accept faithfully our transplantation if it's necessary and for our preservation. Help us, Father, to trust in you that you'll take care of us in many aspects of our lives, living faithfully to you and depending only on you. To ask for advice in taking our decisions to avoid mistakes and suffer consequences. Father, help us to be your people of building altars to you every step of the way as Abraham did, and worshipping and honoring only you as our God, the creator, sustainer, the only true God. Help us, Father, to be content and pleased with whatever we have, and being generous and not selfish and fair, as Abraham was, with all those around us, and to represent you, reflecting your image here on earth to all those surrounding us and fulfill your mission here on this earth for Jesus' soon return and for your honor and glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. And, uh, yeah, this was a very interesting uh, Bible study, but it continues, if you like, part two, because we are going to learn a bit more about the covenant with Abraham. I'll invite you, my dear listener, to join us again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and walk the footsteps of Jesus.